Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that will help you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. Together, for you. Welcome to episode 27 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. I'm a family physician working in uh, British Columbia. I do full service family practice as well as obesity medicine and palliative care. And I am a weight loss and life coach for physicians who are struggling with their own weight. I have personal experience with weight struggles as well as a lot of professional experience through my obesity medicine work. Uh, But personally, I struggled with my weight for many, many years, probably most of my adult life. I thought I was struggling as a teenager, probably wasn't in hindsight. Uh, And it took a lot of work and a lot of reading and learning to try to figure out how do I actually get control of my weight for the long term. I was tired of always worrying about my weight, always having it on my to-do list to try to figure out. And Ultimately, I was able to find different tools that are very effective for helping lose weight, but then also figure out why the weight was there in the first place. And once you figure out why the weight was there in the first place, then it becomes really easy to keep it off and maintain it because you've you've dug into the foundation and found the root of the problem, not just constantly focused on treating the symptom. And so in total, I've lost and am maintaining for uh, a couple of years now, uh, 55 pounds of weight loss. Uh, And I can help you find your own solution. So they may not be exactly the same as what worked for me, uh, but there are solutions that will work for you. And that's through my private coaching uh, program that I offer where we sit down together weekly and we work on what is really getting in your way with your weight loss and work on finding solutions. If that sounds interesting to you, head over to my website, weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca and click on the work with me button. And you can book an introductory session there, which is free and just gives us a chance to sit down and chat about different ways I'd be able to help you. Okay, so this week's episode is about what to do when you know about lower carb eating, you've been told how effective it is, and either you just can't get yourself to do it, or you can't get yourself to stay on it. So you see how it works for you, you lose some weight, but then you slip back and you start eating sugars and starches again, and you just can't find that consistency. I'm going to teach you the top three reasons that I have about why that can happen and give you some ideas for some solutions for all of those reasons. Now, this area is a real area of interest for me, and I've evolved into this area of interest in that I started originally when I started uh, thinking about doing some form of obesity medicine uh, in my own practice. That was before I actually knew obesity medicine existed. I was thinking there had to be a better way than what I was taught in medical school to help people with weight or lifestyle related uh, diseases and started to do some looking into it. Back then I was thinking I just had to, I think I was still thinking I just needed to help people eat less, exercise more. And 
as I gained more knowledge and did more learning in the area of obesity medicine, I obviously learned that eat less and exercise more is not an effective weight loss tool. And it's kind of funny when I talk about that now, because it sure as heck wasn't working for me. I was trying to eat less, exercise more, and I was going nowhere in my own weight. And yet professionally, because we were taught that, I thought that was the right way to go. Uh, so I started doing um, weight management groups. And originally when we started, we were doing a lower calorie partial meal replacement diet. And I found that people lost weight initially. That was great. But then people really struggled maintaining it and sticking to that way of eating. And I saw people start to struggle. And so I started trying to problem solve what would be better ways. And that's when I started to learn more about lower carb eating. I already had known about it, but I had some biases about it. And so back in the spring of 2017 is when we started using a lower carb approach with my weight management patients. And I also personally started to follow it much more diligently at that point. And lower carb eating is great. And I think for many people, it's a life changer for them. And I think in a large part, it was for me in that I started to realize stuff about my own appetite uh, was actually related to the foods I was eating. And so it allowed me to separate that out instead of always blaming myself about not being able to control myself around certain foods, I started to realize it's actually those foods that make me not able to control myself around them. It's what those do to my body. And that was very powerful. And as I was working with patients over time, eating a lower carbohydrate approach, I started to notice some different patterns. And I, I noticed some of these patterns in myself. So there's a group of people when they start a lower carb approach that is all you ever need to tell them. So you talk to them about it. They say, okay, that sounds good. I'll do it. And they do it and they do it diligently and they don't waver and they have fantastic success and they keep going. And that's great. Like those are super inspiring people to watch. But then what I noticed is there's still people that even knowing that lower carb could be helpful. And even when they had tried lower carb and seen results, had difficulties maintaining it or some people just had difficulty starting it so could see other people were getting good results but had difficulties actually taking the steps to start themselves on a lower carb diet and all the while while I was working with patients I was still struggling in certain areas on particularly bad days I would still have super wicked carb cravings and french fry cravings and I would end up uh, going through a drive through or on the weekends would eat off my low carb plan because there was different foods around if we were at people's houses, all different things. And so I started to realize that just a low carb diet isn't the whole answer. It is for some people, but there's a large number of people where just being told, okay, eat low carb is not the whole answer. Um, and I think that's really important to acknowledge because it's easy when you're looking online and in the media, um, things are so polarized and how they're discussed that it can be easy to assume that it works for everybody just simply. And I can tell you personally and professionally that that's not true, that it is a fantastic tool. And I really believe in lower carb eating and 
have no plans of ever changing that for myself because I really feel that I work best, my body works best in this way. But I think there are other layers that we have to acknowledge and we have to talk about for people truly to have success and have confidence in managing their own weight. So I've come up with my three top three reasons of what might be going on if you feel that a low carb diet just isn't enough for you, that it's just not quite doing what you need it to do, or particularly uh, if you just are having difficulties getting yourself to adhere to it. And so this isn't so much a talk about what to do if you're being really diligent, really following it carefully, and you're not seeing the results you want. We've talked a little bit about that in the different conversations I've had with dietitians on this podcast. So if you scroll back to previous episodes, you can get some good tips. This is where in your brain, you know that you should be doing this, that it's the right thing for you, but you can't make yourself do it or you make yourself do it for short terms and then you sabotage yourself. That's what this episode is about. All right. So first thing, and I think this is the biggest thing and it is so true in in our society but the biggest reason why low carb isn't enough is that food is playing a role other than fuel in your life now there's lots of different labels for this uh the classic label is emotional eating and i don't love that label partly because i think people have negative connotations with it so most people i talk to will tell me that they do not emotionally eat And that's because they are picturing emotional eating as the you're crying into a bucket of ice cream sitting on the couch, like how a movie would portray it. The more real definition of emotional eating is eating anytime you are not physically hungry. So eating for any reason outside of physical hunger. And there's a multitude of reasons about why you might eat when you're not physically hungry. So there are the different difficult emotions like stress, sadness, anxiety, boredom, um, restlessness, all of those are common drivers of people doing emotional eating, but there also can be celebration. So you think of us at Christmas or Thanksgiving or any other bigger holiday, often you eat when you're not hungry or you you eat beyond hungry because you're celebrating and because that's what is expected. And so that would be another reason is habit. Uh, Like if you think of breakfast, so people eat breakfast because that's what we've always done, even though there's a lot of people that aren't hungry at breakfast Um, or you eat dinner with the family because that's what you've always done, even though maybe you're not actually hungry at, at that particular dinner. And then the other big role that food can play that I think gets under talked about in our society is entertainment. And this is huge. So when you go out for dinner with friends, what is the most exciting part of that meal? Ask yourself that and try and be truthful because I think a lot of time your brain is looking to the food to be the most exciting part of that meal. And that's where you start getting into, okay, well, yeah, I'll just order an appetizer because those look delicious and that would be fun. Or we've had a nice meal and okay, yeah, let's have some dessert because it would be fun. And so it's your brain wanting to be entertained by the process of ordering and eating food from a restaurant. 
versus letting your brain being entertained by the people that are there and the entertainment you have with the company that you're keeping. Other ways that your brain can entertain yourself with food is things like if you are bored, looking to food to uh, cure boredom would be a very uh, concrete example of that. Or just constantly thinking about food in various ways. So sometimes it's even uh, sneaky because it seems like you're thinking about good stuff. Like I used to think constantly about, okay, what am I making for dinner? And it was all like lower carb stuff. But the result of that when I'm spending so much time thinking about different aspects of food is my desire for food overall goes up and I get hungrier. And then when I'm encountering a situation or have a fleeting thought about something food related and it catches me at a weak moment, then I'm far more likely to uh, eat uh, when I didn't plan on it. And this concept of food as entertainment is a really interesting one because a lot of people feel resistance. Like if you think, what if you never entertained yourself with food again? Uh, a lot of people feel like something horrible would happen with that. And the reality is it feels that way because we're so used to entertaining ourselves with food. It, it's sneaky and it happens if you start paying attention to it. It's happening throughout your day in all different situations. But the reality is if you make a conscious decision that you're not going to look to food for entertainment, then that opens up your brain to look to other places for entertainment. And there is a lot of entertaining stuff out there. There are really good friends, there's good relationships, there's things to watch in nature, there's enjoyable activities that may be just as entertaining as food. It's just we haven't given them a chance because food is so readily available and so easy to access when you want some entertainment. Then the second reason why a low carb diet might just not be enough is probably that there's some belief systems or there's some thoughts that are getting in your way. So I talk a lot about thoughts and uh, thought processes and how they impact our actions and our um, results. And a lot of that is based on the work by Brooke Castillo, who is one of my coaches and who I'm doing training under. Um, and if you go back to episode, I believe it was four, uh, about uh, managing your thoughts, it goes into more detail. But basically, through the day, there are a lot of different thoughts that we think that serve us in no way, shape or form. So thinking like, uh, you know, simple one, if you're new to a low carb diet, thinking I could never live without bread is it's stated in your head like a fact, but it actually is just a thought. It's not a fact. You couldn't argue that in a court of law. And, and really, you could live without bread. If you were on a desert island and there was no bread, you would survive. But that thought, I could never live without bread, then makes you feel out of control around bread. And then the action that falls out of that is you end up eating bread and you are out of control around bread. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we have so many of these thoughts and our brain is used to thinking them because they work. So our brain likes the food that gives us good dopamine quickly. And it's learned the thought patterns that get you to respond, to act in a way that gets it those foods that give you dopamine. 
And to give our brains a break, all of that is just survival instinct. So your brain at that primitive level is just trying to survive the next famine and perceives foods that give you a good amount of dopamine and are energy dense as good options to prevent starvation. And our brain just hasn't caught up to our current environment where there's really no um, chance in North America of true starvation. All those uh, highly energy dense, highly dopaminergic foods are readily available almost anywhere you are. But that part of your brain hasn't caught up with it. So it's still overly focused on making sure you get enough of that. And once you realize that those thoughts are, that's what they're there for. Like that thought, I could never give up bread is really there because your brain doesn't want to, it worries if we give up bread, it's going to starve. That then gives you the power to go, oh, oh, it's okay, brain. We're not going to starve. I'm totally comfortable that there is enough food around. It's just the bread that we have to give up. Another thought would be, I always have to eat if I'm stressed. And so I think I had that for years where if I'm stressed, I have to eat salty carbs would really be how my thought was. Uh, and something like that then connects two things that actually could be totally unrelated, right? Like we have learned and we learn this from a very young age that our emotions are connected to eating. So that if there's an emotion, we eat in response, but that's kind of a maladaptive response. So stress does not actually impact anything to do with food. If we look at food as just fuel, whether or not I'm stressed doesn't really impact whether or not I need to eat. But our brain has learned that those foods are easy ways of getting the dopamine, getting the uh, hormones that give us a short-term relief of the negative emotions. So that stress and then eat the salty carbs. Yes, I felt better for the short term because I got a little bit of dopamine from that, but it didn't actually resolve the stress. So it was an immediate short-term answer, but not a long-term solution to the, to the original problem. And there's lots of situations like that where our brain has used food because it is so readily available and so easily accessible and seems effective, like to that piece of your brain that just wants those quick answers seems effective, that it's connected the answer food to lots of different questions. So I'm stressed, what should I do? Food. I'm sad, what should I do? Food. This is how your brain is working. And we have to work on recognizing those connections that are there that we don't want anymore and disconnect them. And the way you do that is you learn what thoughts are happening that are triggering that eating response. And then you recognize that they're not actually serving you and you work on changing them. The third reason why a low carb diet might not be enough, so might not you might not be able to get started on it or you might not be able to stick to it is that you might not be making change a priority <clears throat> in your life and knowing why it should be a priority. So I've talked about this in lots of different episodes, right from the very first episode, if you want to go back. But so often when we carry extra weight, we spend a lot of time thinking how we really should lose weight. And that's not necessarily something that we're feeling internally. It's our internal response to the external messaging that we get. 
So around us, we are taught that it's not okay to have extra weight. Everybody should be skinny and in bikinis in the summer. And so if we don't match that, then there's something wrong and we should be doing something to change it. And so I would argue that that's not an effective way to make change in your life. And I think probably a lot of you listening might realize that, that the beating yourself into submission until you change, I think most of us have tried that. Most of us have been doing that. Like I said, probably I started as a teenager, I remember trying to figure out how to lose weight, even though I don't think, like when I look back, there wasn't really weight to lose. Um, and and it wasn't done from a place of positivity. It was done as a way of trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And you have so much more power in making personal and behavioral change if you start from a place of compassion for yourself and doing it for a positive reason for yourself. So losing weight just to be a certain size for some outside ideal is probably not going to be that effective of a motivator for you. But if you decide that it's important to you to lose weight because of internal reasons that are based in positivity, not self-shaming, like you want to be able to do some new sporting event, you want to feel that you're confident in managing your own health, there's lots of different reasons why you might decide to lose weight from a positive standpoint. And when you do it from a positive standpoint, it's a lot easier to understand the why and put that as a priority. So if we think about it, like from if you're a parent and we think about how we manage kids, if you're asking a kid to do something and you are doing it in a very negative standpoint and you're berating them about why don't you ever do this? Why can't you do this? You never do it. You, I asked you to do this yesterday. You still haven't done it. Uh, and ask yourself how effective of a tool is that. And I can tell you from personal experience, though I still catch myself doing it, uh, it's really ineffective. All it does is create barriers and put backs up and makes them turn off and stop listening to you. And I think the same thing happens to ourselves. Like if we're talking horrible stuff to ourselves, why would we listen? We would like, we would drown it out and not pay attention to it because listening to that listening to the stuff that most of us says to say to ourselves in our heads is horrible and makes you feel like crap so why would you so you tune it out and when and then you're you don't make the change because you're not actually listening versus if you can get to a spot where you're doing it from a place of compassion and listen I really care about you and this is why it's important to me that you make these changes again if you from a parenting standpoint that's going to be far more effective and it's also going to be more effective with our internal dialogue so if we instead of shaming ourselves into making change if we offer to hold our own hand and walk with ourselves to do something positive uh, it's going to be more effective and it's going to be easier to take those first steps. And if we know that when we take those first steps, the person watching, which is still ourselves, is compassionate and is not going to get mad and not going to blame, it's going to be a lot easier to reach out and take first steps and reach outside of our comfort level. 
And I think the putting yourself on the priority list is a big one, especially for, you know, if you're a physician and you're, you're busy with that, and maybe you're a parent and you're busy with that, or you're busy in other relationships. It's really easy for ourselves to get put at the bottom of the list. Like if you think even like, so kind of how we're trained in medicine, right, is you're busy and really if there's patients to see and people are sick, you probably shouldn't take time to go pee. Like how many of us have gotten through like an emerge shift or been on call up seeing consults and realized it's been like, you know, six or eight hours since we last went pee or maybe that long since we last had a drink of water. I think that's really common and it's kind of the culture that we're raised in. And so it tells us and teaches us that we're kind of at the bottom and we should just muscle through and keep going and get our needs met later on. The problem with that is that later on, when you're exhausted, it's going to be really hard to choose the things that actually meet your needs. So if you've skipped meal through your day because you didn't have time to sit and eat a lunch because your office was really busy, come dinner time, it's going to be harder to make good choices because your hunger hormones are going to be a bit higher. You're going to probably have some thoughts like what we talked about, about how maybe you deserve something because it was such a hard day or because you're so hungry or uh, different thoughts that all come together to lead you to make choices that might not be in line with where you wanted to start when you started in the morning. So I really believe the best way for us to be caregivers in all aspects of our life, so caregiving for our patients, caregiving for other people in our life, is to take care of ourselves and make ourselves a priority on our list. And I think this is even more important in this day and age of the discussion around physician burnout, physician mental health, is making yourself a priority so that you do do the things that make you feel better emotionally and physically and feel like you're taking care of yourself puts you in a better position to do your job without um, almost getting harmed by it, like ending up burnt out or depressed related to your job. And I think anytime you are able to come from a position where you feel more in control and you feel that you've got this handled instead of feeling that things are piling on you, uh, you're always going to do better. And one of the ways that you do that is by putting yourself on the top of your to-do list, doing what you need to do to feel in control and that you've got, you've taken care of things first before you start taking care of everybody else. All right. Well, I hope that those tips helped. Uh, If you have any thoughts about this, uh, send me an email, info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And remember, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to leave a rating or review. Uh, Reviews are fantastic if you can just put down a few words about uh, the podcast and uh, let your friends know about it too. So sharing to let other people find out if you think it might help them. I'd really appreciate that. Have a fantastic week this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. And now for a quick disclaimer. This podcast contains general education information on weight loss for physicians. I'm not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. 
This podcast does not replace a need for consultation with a licensed professional, and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing.